Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I started to lose my passion and I decided that I didn't want to be one of these people that would be stuck you know, here in a job for the next 30 years and then look back and regret that I didn't uh, make a move to do something else that I was uh, more passionate about. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum. In this episode, we're speaking with Lloyd Edge, the director and founder of Oz Property Professionals. You'll hear how he fell into property despite spending 20 years within the music industry, how he successfully built his portfolio to 16 properties over the years and how he managed to bounce back from bad investing moments and much, much more. We find out what Lloyd Edge's day-to-day role entails as well as some of his achievements. I am the director and founder of Oz Property Professionals, which is a buyer's agency. Uh, and I'm also the author of a best-selling Amazon book called Positively Geared. How did you come up with a book like that, by the way? Essentially, my uh, property portfolio is now Positively Geared, uh, which I developed over a number of years. Uh, and essentially, it's a story of where I started from as a teacher through uh, my journey from transi- transitioning from being a teacher into full-time property investor then starting my business and how my portfolio started from just a one-bedroom unit, which is negatively geared, into what is effectively a multi-million dollar portfolio, which is now positively geared, hence the name of the book. Edge delves into what a typical day looks like. Typically, I, I get up in the morning. I, I generally take our dog for a run and um, I've got a little Boston Terrier. I uh, maybe just drop off a coffee uh, and stuff and then come back home. And then throughout the day, I'm generally just... Uh, you know, looking for properties essentially, so looking for good opportunities uh, for both uh, myself and also for our clients uh, and basically negotiating, uh, you know, looking for deals out on the road and in the office uh, and, um, yeah, that's generally what days look like. I have, have a few meetings there. I do a lot of negotiations with agents and things like that and uh, and just trying to help people get into, you know, good, sort, good sorts of deals and uh, I spend a lot of time setting strategies for people because uh, people are sort of looking for ways forward from where they are. So a lot of my time is spent um, strategizing on how people can build their portfolios. He explains how his client interactions have been impacted due to COVID-19. We did do obviously a lot of stuff online uh, through the COVID uh, time, uh, but we often did anyway. So it wasn't that much different because our clients come from all over Australia and we've actually got a number of overseas and expat clients. A lot of our stuff is done by Zoom, FaceTime and Skype anyway. Uh, During COVID time, yes, we didn't have sort of any visitors into our office for for probably a couple of months there, so everything was done via Zoom. Um, One of the main things I found that uh, during that period is there's not so much yeah, people just sort of not interested in property, but it's more about strategizing on how they can actually improve their uh, position for the future. At this point in time, there has been potentially a lot of opportunities because of the 
unexpected sort of black swan that's just come in. So I'm sure that people are now realizing, okay, this might be an opportunity to be able to take up something that you know wasn't ever there before. And even myself, I've been looking as well in the market and uh, looking for you know great deals out there. Yeah, that's right, Troy. And and I think uh, when when the pandemic first happened, uh, first two or three weeks things went really silent. I think people weren't expecting it, obviously, and and then didn't know uh, what to do. So people were very scared and everything. But once that initial phase occurred, you know, people started to then sort of uh, realise that there's actually opportunities to happen. And uh, obviously, some people had issues with losing their income and things like that. So they weren't necessarily in, a, in the right position to to buy and things like that. Other people, however, if they had stable incomes and things like that. Uh, we're seeing opportunities and we are seeing uh, very much a buyer's market at the moment, not the huge price falls that some like the media would have us to believe or some economists uh, because there is, uh, as you know, there's still a shortage of stock on the market. Vendors are holding off listing. Uh, that coupled with the fact that there's buyers in the market is actually keeping prices up. So we're, we're certainly not seeing a uh, you know, a fall in, in prices. We saw a, a minor rise in March and April and only about a 0.4 decline, 0.4 of a percent decline in May in um, house prices, certainly in Sydney. So uh, it's very minor. So they're kind of plattering out. But we are seeing some good opportunities uh, as a buyer's market uh, without any major, uh, you know, major falls or anything at this stage. But, you know, it's a little bit early to see exactly what's going to happen, uh, you know, later in the year and stuff. Before delving into his property journey, Ed shares a bit about his upbringing. Yeah, so I came from Orange, which is a country town in um, western New South Wales, about three, um, three and a half hours from Sydney. Grew up there on a, on a farm uh, with, uh, with lots of animals, uh, dogs and um, cows and, and my, my brother and my parents. Uh, lived there uh, until I was about uh, 18 uh, and then moved away. Uh, I actually originally uh, was a musician, so I uh, actually went to Sydney to study, uh, study music, uh, became a musician and, and a music teacher and that's kind of a bit of my, my background there. Uh, and then sort of moving forward from there, I uh, sort of got into property investing a little bit later. So I wasn't initially uh, interested in property. So I wasn't one of those people that always had that, that taste for property from a young age. I actually developed it a little bit later on. He goes on to talk about what kind of instrument he played and what inspired him to be a musician. I started off, I was actually playing brass instruments. So I played the uh, uh, the euphonium, which is a brass instrument and, uh, and the trombone. I played a little bit of piano during high school and things like that. Uh, and then, um, you know, I competed in a lot of competitions as steadness and things like that. Uh, and then it's just a real passion. Uh, and it was interesting because when I was in high school, my best subject was actually economics. Uh, uh, but that was actually not the path I decided to take. I wanted to take the musical path at the time. Uh, so I could have sort of got into economics and uh, and sort of done that. Um, the lights have gone off in here, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I could have taken sort of uh, the, the property route a little bit uh, sooner probably, but I, I went into the, uh, the musical path because that was really my passion at the time. The former musician shares how he determined his musical path and how he became a teacher in comparison to other avenues he could have pursued. It was quite interesting because... When I went to study at the Sydney Conservatory of Music, I really didn't have uh, any real idea of what I wanted to do. I knew I uh, had a passion for music and I just thought, yeah, I'm going to make a living for music one way or another. And then I sort of found out that it's actually really difficult, you know, to become um, a professional musician there. And you also need a a really big passion for it uh, and stuff like that. And my passion, I guess I started to lose some of that interest along the way. Uh, and, uh, and then I sort of got into teaching uh, as well, which I then became really passionate about and absolutely loved uh, the process of, of teaching. Uh, so that's, that sort of became my passion. I found that I was actually good at teaching uh, and, I, and then started to enjoy that more than I did with uh, did my actual playing. Edge explains how long he was a music teacher for and whether he did different types of teaching. 
Yeah, I was a music teacher, uh, basically teaching uh, instrumental. So I wasn't teaching in the classroom. I was teaching instrumental and conducting bands and, and yeah, probably did that for the best part of around uh, 15 or so years, maybe a little bit more. He shares how his students were involved and engaged with his teaching as it can be quite difficult for some to be focused. I was a bit fortunate that I wasn't actually in a situation where I was teaching in a classroom where you get a lot of kids like that. The kids that I got to teach were actually the ones that wanted to play instruments. You know, a lot of the time they still sort of didn't want to practice and all that kind of stuff, but generally they didn't mind playing their instruments, so it wasn't such a, a hassle to, to teach them there and stuff. So, so it was quite a bit of a luxury from that point of view, teaching those sort of kids. He reflects on moments during his teaching years that really drove his passion and encouraged him to keep going. I think uh, seeing kids that you start from a very young age and you take them sort of through to the senior high school years to year 12 uh, and seeing them become very advanced, so from, be- from beginner to very advanced and then, you know, putting them through their HSC music. Uh, but a couple of memories that stand out is when I was uh, conducting uh, the school band and we'd, we went on some overseas tours uh, where we went to, uh, you know, America and to, to Israel and things like that. So, uh, so some great opportunities there and the, the band played at Disneyland and, and a, a, few, a few things like that. So they're, they're kind of a, bit, a few standout moments, I guess, in my, uh, my teaching career within the school system. Edge delves more into his time at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music and how many years it took to qualify as a teacher. I was there for about four years. Uh, so uh, that's sort of how long it took to get uh, the degree and I've got a couple, a couple of other qualifications as well. Uh, and then I, I left and was I was doing some professional uh, performing at, at the time in, in a few orchestras and things like that. So professional um, player in a younger day there, but I ended up sort of doing a lot of uh, you know, teaching as well. And as I said, that's something that I, I really enjoyed. After 20 years in the music industry, he looks back on the time frame where he actually delved into property. The first property I bought was actually a, a property to live in. Uh, and I knew that at some stage in the future, it would be an investment, but I didn't have a passion for property investment at the time. So it was just, uh, and it worked out well that it was kind of in a fairly good location because that's where I wanted to live. You know, it was, it was in Sydney, it was near the water and uh, near amenities and stuff like that. But it was essentially just a unit to live in. And I lived there for uh, a couple of years and then uh, decided that, you know, what I was making in uh, teaching, I didn't feel I was making a stable income. Uh, I didn't feel that I would have much in superannuation. I didn't want to live on the pension. So I wanted to sort of set myself up uh, for some security for the future. And I also uh, felt that, you know, property would be a more stable sort of uh, and, and less volatile investment uh, for me and a good path for me than, uh, than elsewhere. So that's when I uh, started to look at options to start growing that portfolio. And that's when I actually moved out of that one bedroom apartment, rented that out and started to grow my uh, portfolio from there. Uh, but at the time, I had no strategy. So very much different to the way I invest these days and the way I, I teach other people to invest, uh, that I, uh, I really had no strategy. So I was buying a few properties that were sort of negatively geared. Uh, they sort of turned out quite well. Um, by sheer accident because they were just in, sort of in Sydney and if you're, if you're you know, buying good locations like that, they tend to uh, get good capital growth anyway. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of cash flow and I was getting into a bit of debt. So it was a little bit later on uh, when I uh, started to look at uh, strategies on how to actually grow the wealth quicker that my whole property investing scenario changed. Uh, and that all came down to uh, the mindset I had and the goals that I uh, started to put in place for what I wanted to achieve um, into the future, which did include wanting to retire from teaching because I did realise um, I was starting to lose my passion and I decided that I didn't want to be one of these people that would be stuck you know, here in a job for the next 30 years and then look back and regret that I didn't uh, make a move to do something else that I was uh, more passionate about. He goes on to talk about the time in which he purchased his first property. 
So that was around about 2003, uh, and that was just post the Sydney Olympic boom. So again, uh, with no strategy, not really knowing much about the markets at the time, uh, I was also buying when the markets were actually starting to decline in Sydney, which is another reason why I didn't really get much growth at the time. So, uh, And I've still got that property now, and it's more than tripled in value over the last 17 years or so. Uh, but uh, you know, at the time, it, it wasn't really getting any growth for the first few years. Of course, at first, it was an occupied property, but then became an investment. Uh, but yeah, with no strategy uh, and buying sort of in the I guess the wrong markets at the wrong time uh, sort of inhibited my journey at first, which is something that I, I sort of learned a lot more about later on about how to, uh, how to buy in the, the right time of the cycle, how to read property market cycles and things like that. And then, of course, how to manufacture equity uh, in properties, which is what essentially is what I do these days. He further explains his thought process when buying his first property and what influenced him to purchase more. So it was around about 2007 and we're just sort of coming into the uh, the global financial crisis. But uh, for me, uh, I started to attend some seminars. I was doing a lot of reading. I was getting inspired uh, and realized that I could actually do well with property and also realized that I, I wasn't actually scared of, of buying in uh, in, a, in a market like that because you know the market markets weren't doing so well. I bought another property uh, which uh, ended up being uh, you know better cash flow uh, and again, uh, wasn't, you know, wasn't getting a lot of growth at the start. But good cash flow sort of helped the, uh, you know, help, help the bank account and stuff like that. Uh, but then I sort of got really hungry and I started to sort of check my serviceability with banks and realised that I could actually go and get another property uh, straight away. Uh, and then I, you know, started to get, you know, get really savvy with, uh, you know, cash flow. And, and, and then, you know, I, I ended up making probably one of the biggest mistakes I've made in property at the time, which is a lesson to be learnt and things like that as well, which is because you always make mistakes along the way. Coming up after the break, we hear about Lloyd Edge's current portfolio and how many properties he has. At the moment, I've got 16 properties in my portfolio. Uh, obviously, along the along the way, I've sort of sold one, I've, I've acquired some and, and all that kind of stuff. So, th- th- that number obviously fluctuates. It's not so much about the number, it's about obviously the quality of the properties and what they, what they do for me. One of his worst investing moments? It's interesting because uh, probably my worst investing moment, I thought was actually going to be a really good one. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. The director and founder of Oz Property Professionals paints a picture of his journey, showing how many properties he currently holds. At the moment, I've got 16 properties in my portfolio. Uh, obviously, along the along the way, I've sort of sold one of, of acquired some and, and all that kind of stuff. So th- th- that number obviously fluctuates. It's not so much about the number; it's about obviously the quality of the properties and what they what they do for me. Uh, but the properties are, are spread across different states, different locations. <coughs> excuse me, both capital cities and regional areas. And also, I've got I've got units, I've got townhouses, houses, and, and duplexes. So there's a number of different types of properties uh, that all form uh, you know the strategies that I use. And things like that. Despite building an impressive portfolio over the years, Edge reveals one of his worst investing moments throughout his journey. It's interesting because uh, probably my worst investing moment I thought was actually going to be a really good one. So I bought a property. It's probably been maybe my third or fourth property I bought. Uh, again, I was, I was starting to get educated, but I really didn't know anywhere near enough as I should have. And uh, I was very attracted to buying something with a really high yield. So I went and bought in a mining town. In, uh, and I've actually uh, 
you know, written that, written all about that in the book that I wrote because it's, it's a lesson to, like, I like to share with people about what not to do. So I bought in the mining town in Blackwater in central Queensland. Uh, the property was $260,000 and I paid, uh, that's what I paid, and the uh, the rent coming in was about $900 a week. So massive yield on a residential property. Uh, and the growth in Blackwater was being quite consistent year and year at the time of about 25%. Uh, so all those numbers stacked up really well. Uh, what I didn't realise at the time uh, was that uh, you should never invest in an area that is reliant on just one sector because when uh, the, the resources sector collapsed uh, at around about the end of 2012, my $900 a week went back to about $180 a week and, uh, and of course, the, the property value uh, plunged as well um, down below to uh, what I bought it from. So, uh, and I, I remember having a bit of a sinking feeling then, uh, thinking, oh, what have I done? I had this, you know, really good cash flow positive property in my portfolio that's now, uh, you know, it's now negatively geared and, uh, and it's, I'm not really going to be able to sell it and stuff. But uh, it's a good learning experience because I've got a lot of properties and stuff like that. It's actually swallowed up amongst my portfolio uh, and that's actually, it's actually negatively geared now. Uh, it's still rented and everything. So, it actually hasn't turned out too bad, but it's not the cash flow property that it should have been. But... Uh, swallowed up against all my other properties, it's, it's not really affecting me because there were people at that time who got really greedy and had about 10 properties in locations like that and they did go bankrupt. So I, I only hedged my bet by doing it once. But what what's the lesson to be learned uh, and something that I really enforce with everyone I talk to about investing is that you should buy in areas that have several industries of growth. So you shouldn't just buy with one sector because if that sector leaves town, then the industry uh, collapses. So, you know, make sure there's a lot of infrastructure, there's a lot of jobs growth, there's different types of industries, whether that's, you know, whether that's medical, whether there's uh, education with universities, uh, manufacturing, all sorts of things. Make sure that you're buying in areas that have several industries of growth and you won't have that sort of problem. Uh, so that, that was probably the, uh, the single worst uh, experience then. But like I said, at the time, it didn't seem that bad. It was just a few years later. When you said it's a few years later, what, three or four years or so, that's when it all sort of changed. I mean, I probably bought that in about 2009 and it probably went belly up in about 2012. So I uh, was, and you know, I could have I could have probably sold it at the end of 2011 and made a lot of money. But of course, I've never been a flipper. I've never been a, a you know, buyer and sell or try to try to time the market and, and sell. Like my idea was always to, uh, to keep properties for the long term. Uh, to build wealth that way uh, and with this one yeah if i'd sold it a year earlier i probably would have made a lot of money on it but i was keeping it thinking that you know like you do with any property if you keep it for longer you make even more money or you, you pass it down through generation as, a, as an asset for your family and stuff like that uh so for me yeah that was that was a, a bit of a mistake there but uh you know just a lesson learned part of the part of the journey would you say over those three years part of it part of that loan got paid off anyway because of the high positive cash flow that you had from that and then now it's, as you said it's been swallowed up in your portfolio so it shouldn't really affect it too much absolutely and i don't really notice that anyway so it's it's, it's it is pretty much swallowed up i don't really notice it doesn't really bother me it's something that i uh, quite and now we're going back about eight years since that happened so i, I quite readily talk about that uh, as uh, you know something and especially when sometimes i do get clients coming to me and they they want to buy a property that's got a, like a 12 percent yield and they want to and I say, well, you know, we might be able to find a commercial property like that. And they say, no, we want a residential property. And I say, at that sort of yield, uh, I know where you can get them, but I don't recommend you go there. 
Uh, and I, when I try to talk people out and I share people my story about why you should not go to a certain area to, tr- to try to chase these big yields. That's the challenge as well too. Unfortunately, with you know a lot of these ones with higher yields, it's mostly regional and regional really doesn't have much capital growth because there's not much demand as well too. So, I, I can totally understand. That's where I think it comes back down to fundamentals. Where are you actually going to be investing? And you got to ask yourself, you know, what is your strategy at the end of the day? Because if you're just going for yield, then yeah, you're going to have to buy a lot of lots of those, but you might not get much capital growth. And that's the thing. Uh, like yield, really, just high. Yeah, high rent really just pay, sort of pays off the uh, you know the the loan and um, you know the mortgage you got to pay every month. But it's really the the capital growth that creates the wealth. Uh, and whether that you're manufacturing that growth or you're in a location where over time you're going to get the capital growth, whatever it is, your properties need to increase in value. Uh, there's no point having a whole heap of properties that 10 years later, they're worth the same as what you bought them for. Just because they've got high yields, it's, it's not going to benefit you at all. Uh, you know, you might have money in the uh, in the bank from the, the rents, but it's, it's not really going to give you any, that wealth or, or that lifestyle freedom that you're craving in the future. So I think that's a very important thing. And that's why I think education in property is, is the first thing people should do all the time before they even, you know, contemplate buying a property. They really need to know the fundamentals before they make the first move. Despite experiencing his worst investing moment, he goes on to share the moment where everything just clicked for him. And my aha moment was when I actually bu- built my first duplex. So I'd been investing for a uh, for a few years, and I had sort of properties that were uh, a mixture of negatively negatively geared and some that were positively cash flow, like the one in Blackwater, uh, but I still didn't feel I was really getting anywhere. I wanted to turn my hand to actually manufacturing some growth. So when I built my first duplex and had it subdivided, uh, and uh, I got about $141,000 additional equity, so instant equity on that build. Uh, but the, I guess the, the real moment for me was the fact that as a teacher at the time, I was only on about 70000 So the equity I got was double my full year's income as a teacher, yet I just got that equity just doing a duplex on the side. And then I thought, oh, well, I'm onto something here. I've just got to repeat this process. That's actually what changed my journey. That's actually what gave me the belief that I can actually do something and make it in property uh, and actually um, you know, move towards my goals. I can actually you know, do some bigger things and, and create some financial stability and some lifestyle choices for the future. So th- that was the moment that, uh, that that really happened. Which property was that roughly in your portfolio that you built that duplex? So that's probably property, that property number five. So it's still quite early on in your journey then. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, I, th- I think uh, it was quite early on in the journey, but using the equity in that um, that duplex allowed me then to go into further properties straight away. So uh, I think I bought another three properties on the back of that using the equity. Uh, and uh, and that, just, that just meant I wasn't waiting for capital growth. I, was actually, I had that equity. I refinanced the properties, the duplexes that were on now on separate titles. Uh, and then just you know the following year, just bought three or four new properties or three or four more properties and um, uh, you know, without having to save up, I had the deposit there from the equity. He delves more into this type of property and how he came across it. So, it was just a, a vacant property and uh, like a, va- a vacant block of land, a ni- nice corner block. Uh, didn't have any plans or anything on it. So, it was just available through the, uh, the local real estate agent. It was in a new estate but the estate had already been built. 
So it was actually one of the last remaining blocks there, which is also a, a resale. So they'd sort of sold it and the finance had fallen over. So uh, then I you know, came back on the market and that allowed me to get a, a cheaper price as well. So I think I paid something like 159000 for the land. It was originally uh, you know, priced in about uh, around about 190000 and comparable blocks around, they were selling sort of close to two hundred. So I got it a bit cheaper there uh, because the developer just wanted to sell. Uh, and he had sold and then came back on the market. So that, that was a good opportunity for me as well. Uh, and then obviously I needed to go and, uh, you know, find a builder and, and, and things like that. And uh, very, all very new uh, to me uh, as well. So, yeah, that was always a little bit nerve wracking and just needed to get a little bit of advice from people who had done it before. And um, I actually, uh, you know, the real estate agent that I bought that block of land from, I actually, I'm still in contact with him now. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and properties that we've built in Armadale, I'll actually use them to sort of be the property manager for the properties and stuff as well. So, uh, it's sort of developed a bit of a relationship that way as well. It sounds like when you purchased that first block, that land was already, you know, you entered in with already a profit in mind because at the end of the day, most of the time is when you make money is when you actually buy the property, not when you actually finish and building it and so forth. That's one of the things I always say, you, you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. Uh, so, you really do need to buy things at the right price, make sure you're buying uh, you know, under market value. So, so immediately, if, you know, if you're buying the land at the right property, uh, right price, then you, you are getting things uh, under market value and, and making a bit of equity up front as well. But I must say, having never done this before, I was kind of anticipating when, when the properties were subdivided, they might make maybe 60K in equity uplift. And I thought, yeah, that would be a good result. But what I ended up getting was much more than that. Uh, and um, subsequently, obviously, I've done deals that have, you know, resulted even higher than that. But that as a, as a good first development I've done, I, you know, there's a lot more than what I was expecting and it certainly changed things uh, for me, particularly because it was so much more than what I was ex- expecting because I didn't know what to expect uh, out of this, uh, you know, this sort of a project. Ed shares how long the process took on this particular project and whether he encountered any obstacles along the way. So that process probably took a little bit more than 12 months, probably uh, 14 to 15 months because the council uh, was a little bit delayed with that. Yeah, the council sort of uh, kept coming back and sort of asking for changes uh, in, the, in the plans and the designs and they, they, you know, we didn't put the right sort of landscaping in that they wanted and they wanted to change the floor plans and the, the, the direction that the sun came in and you know, things like that, uh, which is things that we, uh, these days, we're obviously more across to addressing that, but when it's the f- first time doing it, uh, you know, that, that delayed things a little bit there. So, the council approval probably took maybe six months or something, which is longer than it should take, uh, but that, that just comes down to, uh, you know, sort of a learning experience. Uh, but, yeah, normally, you know, they, they are approved quicker than that if you're, if you're getting everything in that they need, you know, straight away. Inspired by Lloyd Edge's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll hear about the kind of strategy he has implemented to create more wealth. My strategies have always been about manufacturing uh, equity. So, I've done that through further duplexes, uh, some some of which have uh, had really good returns of maybe, you know, two, three hundred grand. His biggest driving factor for doing what he does? Essentially, uh, really what I do uh, and why I do what I do is essentially to help people trying to achieve uh, what I've done. And that's not saying to achieve, you know, specifically what I've done, but trying to achieve their own goals. So, financial freedom. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.